Hannah, thank you very much for joining us today. How are things in Stockholm? Hi, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Uh, Stockholm is good. Uh, it's uh, getting dark earlier and earlier, but otherwise it's all fine. And how's the weather? Uh, it's okay. Late late autumn. Um, not not really winter yet, but uh, dark and uh, no snow. Hannah, you have a very interesting background in the trading of battery metals, which includes lithium, cobalt, and nickel, and this is what I want to focus our discussion on today. But before we do that, why don't you give us a brief overview of your firm, WMC Energy? Where is the firm based, and what services does the firm offer? Sure. Uh, WMC Energy is a commodity merchant. Uh, we are specialized in nuclear fuel uh, and lithium-ion battery metals. Uh, so we arrange supply contracts, uh, financing solutions and risk management services for various customers in the respective value chains. Uh, we, uh, after becoming the world's largest trader in nuclear fuel, uh, which was really the core in the start of WMC, uh, we expanded our portfolio. So we now also include the battery materials. Uh, we also have an asset, uh, asset development business uh, called Liminal, uh, where we focus on developing processing facilities for materials that can go into lithium-ion batteries. We are currently uh, 20 employees uh, with a head office in Amsterdam. And prior to joining WMC Energy, you also worked at Northvolt. Maybe you can just touch on Northvolt and what exactly you did there. Correct. Uh, so Norfolk is the Swedish uh, uh, gigafactory uh, founded by two guys from Tesla. Uh, I was in charge of buying all raw materials they bought for the cathode side of the cell. Uh, so that was the nickel, cobalt, manganese, lithium, uh, also the copper and aluminium foil. And in your current role at WMC, what does a typical day look like? I'm curious, are you on the phone all day speaking with miners and producers, seeking out supply for OEMs? Uh, so a typical day, um, there are all quite uh, different actually, uh, but usually I start the day by you know, reading news. Uh, there are times when deals are made official uh, um, or other kind of press releases from companies almost on a daily basis. So that's always interesting to, to keep up with. Uh, some days we are also more busy with trading activities uh, or other days it could be that we are more focused on discussing and, and solving financial um, difficulties for our parties. So we work a lot with different financial solutions. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's another unique feature of WMC is that you and your team provide these financing solutions for junior mining companies or lithium companies. Maybe you can just touch on that and what exactly that looks like. Sure. So, um, I mean, it could be all junior miners, they require a large amount of capital to, to really bring the mine into production. And uh, they could also need assistance in connecting supply with demand. And that's where parties like WMC can provide support. So this support could be really financial nature. Uh, so like financing solutions, debt equity or working capital. Uh, and sometimes the support is more uh, in operational nature. Hannah, I want to move the discussion on now toward the lithium-ion battery. There are currently two primary types being used in EVs, one of which is the LFP lithium-ion battery, the other one is the NMC. Maybe you can just tell us the difference between the two battery types and why would an OEM prefer one over the other? 
Sure. Uh, so, in, in fact, there are more than two, two types, uh, like you mentioned, and they are usually named after the chemicals used in the cathode side, so the positive side of the cell. So the most common one uh, would be the NMC, uh, which is nickel, manganese and cobalt cathode. Uh, this cathode offers a very high energy density, so it gives the car longer driving range, for example. Uh, however, this battery is also quite costly to the, due to the high value of the metals that it contains. Uh, on the other key cathode type, uh, which is the LFP, short for lithium iron phosphate, this battery has a lower driving range, but it comes with a reduced cost. Um, so generally speaking, you could say that NMC cathodes are more popular in the Western world uh, or for premium brands, uh, and the LFP cathode would be more currently more uh, common in, in, in China. Um, the, the OEMs will actually use uh, different chemistries for either different brands in their portfolio or different regions where the car is sold. Uh, it all depends on how they want to you know, optimize uh, certain characteristics of the battery, such as the energy density, the cost, the lifespan, uh, or, or something else. So just to summarize, the NMC uses lithium, cobalt, nickel, and man manganese. It has a longer range, but because it uses nickel and cobalt, it costs a lot more money, whereas the LFP does not use nickel and cobalt. It has a shorter range, but this it, the price of the battery is cheaper. Yeah, correct. You could also, in an NMC, have different ranges of these three metals. So you can have an NMC 111, where you have equal parts of all three metals. Uh, or you have an NMC 811, where you have eight parts nickel per part manganese and cobalt. So you can have everything uh, in between there. Uh, it also always have the, have the lithium there as two, of course, as either carbonate or lithium as, as hydroxide, uh, but it's not represented in the cathode name. So I want to discuss the pricing associated with lithium, nickel, cobalt, and manganese. Maybe you can just touch on that and where they are trading, because I want to determine exactly how OEMs look at these metals when it comes to the construction of the batteries, and a lot of their decisions are based on pricing. Yeah, so so if you look at lithium, for example, uh, you are you are seeing uh, you know skyrocketing uh, prices. Uh, new target, new new record high prices are are reached uh, every day. So that's also why you have seen more and more development in other chemistries, such as high manganese, for example, to compensate. Uh, either high, high costs, so you can actually make the, the cell a lot cheaper with that. Some metals have also been quite difficult to totally remove, such as the cobalt, because cobalt is in the battery for stability. So it becomes a safety issue. Uh, so it's a lot of engineering done before you can, can really engineer it out of the cell completely. Anna, can you tell us what the cost of lithium, nickel, cobalt, and manganese is? Sure. So uh, lithium would be priced at around seventy thousand uh, dollars, a bit depending on where, which region you are, and if you are going for carbonate or hydroxide. And uh, nickel is around twenty-five thousand, uh, cobalt around fifty, uh, and manganese being the the cheapest one, which is around two three thousand. And so, given the expense of both nickel and cobalt, I guess that speaks to why. OEMs are always changing the chemistry of these batteries because they want to produce the cheapest battery possible. 
You want to produce the cheapest battery for sure, but you also want to produce a really good battery. Uh, so you can also play with these the amounts on on how much you you want um, because of other characteristics that you really want in your cell. So if you reduce the nickel uh, too much, you will not have the same energy density. The car will not be able to drive as far uh, on one charge as it would if you would have higher nickel, for example. So it's really about optimizing the, the different characteristics you want, where cost is definitely one of them, uh, energy density being another one. So let's move the discussion now toward trading because that's what you do is the acquisition of these uh, raw materials. But maybe you can just speak to the trading side. How hard is it to acquire lithium, cobalt and nickel in this current environment? Uh, I would say that the metals are a little bit different. Uh, I mean, if you look at lithium, for example, there are today only a handful lithium players that are really producing currently. I mean, it's a handful. It's Albemarle, Tianqi, Gangfeng, SQM, Livent. Those are the ones that really produce lithium today. So if you want to have lithium today, you have to go to those the, the, the big ones. You can try to, to find spot volumes from them or from traders, but the spot market in lithium is really not developed yet. It is there, but it's not big, and it's definitely growing when the industry is growing. And nickel, for example, is a way bigger um, industry. It's not depending only on, on EVs, on batteries like the lithium is. So in nickel, you have a more developed spot market. So you have big traders uh, um, that you can choose from as well if you don't go directly to the mining companies. The same for, for uh, cobalt. Manganese is, is a, 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 a really special uh, method as well because you have uh, almost all uh, supply from for battery manganese sulfate coming from China. And maybe you can just speak to what a typical contract would look like and how a contract for an OEM would be different for a contract for somebody who's buying for the short term, just in terms of quantity, pricing, delivery, the delivery date. Yeah. Uh, so for an OEM, I think uh, one one special thing to keep in mind is that they, they would like always to have large suppliers with large stable volumes coming from the same source with the same quality all the time. You have to qualify each material uh, in your battery before you can really put the car on the road. In order to do that, you start with small, small samples of material, you produce small amount of cells, you test them, you do more and you test them a long time. You even have cases where it takes up to one and a half year to qualify a new lithium supplier. So that means that the contracts that they do will be big and will be very long. Uh, it, it's not worthwhile to do this costly and lengthy qualification period for just you know, a spot lot. You could buy spot volumes if it's coming from the same suppliers that you have already qualified. Uh, because then you don't have to do all the same testing again. And in terms of delivery, how far out would a typical contract for an OEM be? Like, are we talking two years out, five years out? Uh, I would say rather the longer the better. Uh, in many cases, uh, a lot of the contracts are really long. And especially if you look at the, the OEMs now going into getting closer and closer to the mining, even making deals directly with the mining companies, they tend to be very long. But you always have certain parameters that could be moving in a contract. If you buy nickel on a five-year contract, you will always have the LME nickel uh, part of the price that will be moving during this uh, contractual period. 
but usually the contracts are are for a quite long period. And if an OEM enters into an offtake agreement with a, a development company who's not even producing yet and might not be producing for five years, how can they actually determine the quality of that lithium and whether or not it's battery grade? Mm. You basically can't. You can't. You can't uh guarantee that is battery grade before you have tested it before it has been produced what you do is that you can make still a contract but you have certain parameters in the contracts that needs to be met such as the qualification such as the mining company reaching the specification uh, that they they have to to reach and maybe you can just touch on the spot market my sense is the lithium spot market is very much like the uranium spot market it's not very transparent, it's opaque, and you can't buy a, a large quantity there. What is the lithium spot market like? Uh, the lithium market, and especially the spot market, is still really in its early stages. Uh, so it's, the spot market is very small uh, currently. Uh, and also you could even say that if you want to look at the price, for example, the, the spot price might not always be the ideal in the identification of the value of the lithium, really. Uh, the lithium prices are also backwardated at the moment. So if you look at more of the forward prices, maybe you will get a better picture of what, what the lithium is, is really worth. But I think as, as the, the market develops and, and the spot market will be, become bigger, uh, you will have better uh, possibilities to, to uh, purchase volumes in the spot market. And so when we, if you look at the benchmark index, for example, for lithium pricing, it's up over 100%. It was up over 400% last year. And I just want to get a sense, like how much, how active is that lithium spot market and how many pounds or tons would trade there annually? Do we know that? Is that information public? No, I don't think it is. Um, you also have in, in lithium, you know, you still have different kind of indexes. Uh, in the other metals, you basically have only one that everyone in the value chain has aligned to, uh, for example, the LME nickel. In lithium, you have prices coming from a variety of um, institutions. So you have the benchmarks, you have the fast market, you have an Asian index. I think as the lithium industry grows, you will, you will see one of these taking a bigger share, which means that, you know, it will be a bigger market uh, and then it will be easier to to also you know determine what the real price of the lithium should be another issue that's very important for oems is sustainability and the acquisition and sourcing of raw materials the primary component that goes into a lithium ion battery is lithium and there's two types and maybe you can just touch on these two different types and what the environmental impact of the two types are for oems uh, yes, so the two types uh, that are used in the batteries are either lithium carbonate uh, or lithium hydroxide. Uh, they are lithium is also produced in two different ways. Uh, you can use hard rock mining uh, or you, you produce from brine. So hard rock mining is typically, uh, typically from a sustainability perspective, it uses more chemicals. Uh, they produce uh, more, more waste products and, and in general have a higher CO2 footprint. A brine producer have a process of removing lithium from these underground deposits of brine water that also have an environmental impact, but it's quite different from the hard rock. So the process from a brine producer 
involves pumping pumping these brines into ponds and they let the the solar evaporation basically take away the water and to, so they can extract the lithium and the negative impact in that is of course that they are produce, consuming significantly more groundwater. Uh, I think that it's more and more common for all the OEMs to perform these kind of LCAs, uh, so-called life cycle assessments, where um, all the products uh, they use in their um, battery, they track all the environmental impacts from several aspects, so both from the CO2 or from the water usage and other to, you know, base their decision on, on which one to buy. And we should also touch on cobalt, given that 70% of all cobalt comes from the DRC. How can an OEM ensure that the cobalt from the DRC is sustainable? That's a good question. I think the OEMs and the battery producers doing this sourcing have different strategies uh, when it comes to this. Uh, some of them choose to source only outside of the DRC. Um, as you said, it's 70% from DRC, so 30% is coming from other regions. Uh, so basically you can source outside of the DRC to basically avoid the risk. Uh, some of them will instead engage with the large mining groups in the country. Uh, you also have the ones uh, that will engage with the artisanal and small-scale mining groups in the DRC, basically as a way to provide economic support for the Congolese people. You also have a lot of development of systems in tracking and tracing battery materials, um, including the cobalt then, and they are becoming much more widely, much more used, uh, these kind of systems, so you can really trace exactly which mine and refinery uh, have, have been touching this, uh, the cobalt they are using. But to answer your question in short, I think the OEMs uh, tackle the cobalt sustainability topic in, in different ways. Hannah, as we wrap up, is there anything you and your team are looking for or concerned about in the battery metals market as we enter 2023? Um, well, I would say from, from uh, first from a European perspective, it's of course very interesting to see the European responses to the US Infla Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, so political decisions will play a big role in the supply chains. I also think that one, one thing we have to keep in mind that especially for lithium, where, where a lot of this future supply will have to come from juniors, and we are now in a situation with a very challenging financial market that could have a, a really big effect on this new mine supply and, and also on the battery producer, the startups in, that, in the battery producer um, market. So in, in your mind, supply continues to be the number one concern going forward? Definitely. Well, Hannah, that was an amazing discussion, and I want to thank you very much for joining us today all the way from Stockholm. Thank you. Thank you.